Grace to you and peace from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lent is customarily a time when you reflect on the catechism, on catechesis, on the six chief parts, instruction from Holy Scripture. And so it's very fitting to have not just the text, but the Ten Commandments in place for us in worship this morning. The Ten Commandments. Years ago, I went to Barnes & Noble. I used to love going to Barnes & Noble. I was in seminary at the time. And I would always go back to, the, the, of course, the religious book section. I would go to other sections as well, but I would tend to go back there out of just pure curiosity. What books do they have? What authors do they have? At the time, I knew very well a lot of the big names and the big authors and kind of the things that they presented. So I loved to look and see. Never buy because I was in seminary. And if you would see my bank account, you would understand. Back then, I couldn't afford anything anyway. But I loved going to Barnes & Noble. And while I was there, one fateful day, uh, two young men came back to the religious section, and one of them grabbed a Bible. I have no idea what translation, what version it was, but he opened it up to this text, in fact, Exodus 20, and he began looking at it, and he goes, see, the Catholics have it wrong. The version of the Ten Commandments is all wrong in the Catholic Church. You see, the Ten Commandments are one of those curiosities. You see, we, we have them. There's, there are certain things in biblical theology that just strike us. They, they make us curious. We, we long to kind of just know a little bit more. I, I always say the book of Revelation is one of those, right? We, we, we ponder as we look and open and read the book of Revelation, what is this all about? Which is part of the reason that having a class downstairs going through the book of Revelation is usually popular and, quite frankly, quite enjoyable to read through Holy Scripture and to really piece that out and say, what does this really mean? Another one of those curiosities has to do with what other faiths believe. We know what the church down the road looks like. We probably know some of the members, and they seem like good folk. But what do they really believe? And what does their church profess to believe? It becomes one of those curiosities. We're curious. We want to know. We're interested. It becomes an interesting topic. And the Ten Commandments is also one of those. What ordering do we use? You know, if, if you have the, 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 what I would call the historical, uh, which is Catholic, Orthodox, Anglican, Lutheran version of the Ten Commandments, you have, you shall have another, no other gods as one. And the second one is, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. But if you go to the Reformed Church down the road, the first commandment will be the same, but the second one is you shall not make the Lord your God into any graven image. Well, where did that come from? How does that work? And all of a sudden, our curiosity is piqued. We're interested. Where does this all come from? How does this all really take place, and where do we get all that? We read through the text. We know where they got it from. But you see, that day, that fateful day when I was in Barnes & Noble, I did give an answer. Now, I gave probably the nerdiest answer known to mankind. And, and I'll, I'll even tell you my answer. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to stop there. 
I'll tell you my answer because I, I heard that and I had to speak up. I, I don't normally speak up in those kind of situations. I usually just let them go, but I just, I felt compelled. Of course, I was a great seminarian, right? And I said, tell based on the text because all the imperatives are second person plural. Ha ha! Trump that. As you might guess, as I see some of your faces out there, your expression is about the same as theirs. Utter confusion. Like, who is this person talking to us, and why are they talking to us? And that was, that was the look I got. Now, having a little bit more time and not being like 24 years old, allow me to take a little bit more time to explain that. In Hebrew... Yes, Hebrew, you heard it right. In Hebrew, an imperative, that is a command, is simply placed in second person plural. Now, second, second person, really. It could be singular or plural. Like if I said, clean your room, right? You know, like that's second person singular because hopefully I'm not talking to all of you to clean your room. However, if I'm talking to all of you, I'd still say clean your room, right? Second person plural. That's Hebrew, but you cannot tell the difference between will you clean your room and clean your room. One's a command, one's a request. Therein lies part of the issue. The second issue is that we know through Holy Scripture and later on in the book of Exodus that there are in fact ten commandments, ten. And yet, if we were to go and make all, get all the commands from the Old Testament, not just Exodus, but Leviticus and so on, we would find 613. So there are 613 commands, but 10 of them are the Ten Commandments. And out of that 10, because we know that there are 10, there come three different views. One view is that of the Jews those that have Jewish faith. Their view doesn't start with a command at all, but in fact it starts with a statement. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. They define who God is. That's their number one. And then number two becomes you shall have no other gods and basically everything follows suit compared to us where ours is with one exception. Commandments 9 and 10 are combined together. So that's one view. To define God. The Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Who brought your ancestors, your faith heritage out of Egypt. Who took the people in God's hand with a mighty hand. Brought them to the land. The promised land. God. Not just any God. Not generically God but God. On the other side, as we've already described, you have the Reformed groups. And then right there in the middle, you have what I would call, again, the historic groups. Well, which one do we use? Which one do we follow? Obviously, you know, I'm, as a Lutheran, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue for the, the use of the historical one. And it has precedence. It's been around for probably the longest in terms of the actual Christian church, it makes sense, most sense, to, in my opinion, of the grammar that is present on the page. But honestly, as we reflect on this and as we look on this, 
I think one of the dangers in focusing too much on this is that it tends to lose focus on what the Ten Commandments are about. So instead of debating, let's ask the question, what are the Ten Commandments really about? Is it a bunch of rules and laws to make sure that I don't mess up? Is it a bunch of rules and laws to make sure that I keep myself in line? And in fact, we sometimes talk about the law like this. We, we talk about how the law of God has ultimately three uses. One is to, to curb us, to stop us from doing things that are wrong. So if I reflect on God's law and I look at what's wrong over there, I go, okay, I'm not going to do that. I was going to do it, but now I'm definitely not. The second way is sometimes called like a mirror. It reflects, it shows us we're doing something wrong, but we didn't realize it. And then we look in the mirror and we see. But probably my favorite use of the law is actually like a guide. And the reason that I prefer this particular use is because it's not so much a bunch of rules, but it is telling you how God wants us to live. And more importantly, it is reflective of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. If God is your God, how do you live? Not as in a bunch of rules, but simply a reflection of how we live. Take the fifth commandment, murder. What is murder? Murder is placing somebody else's decision above that of God's. God is the God of life and death. He chooses when we live and when we die. And when we murder, we try to take that out of the hands of God. We defile the first commandment. We defile the commandment that says, you shall have no other gods. You could take all the commandments and follow the same pattern. The first commandment, you are God's children. And as God's children, as we ask those questions, how are we to live? We reflect on the Ten Commandments. We reflect on, dare I say, the law of God. But as Christians we might be able to, to kind of, dare I say, add more context into that. Yes, God who brought us out of Egypt, but also God who sent His only Son to die for us, that we would be forgiven of our sins so that we would have eternal life, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. As children of God, it is important that we reflect upon how we walk upon how we live our lives. And so the Ten Commandments become an incredible, helpful guide. Now, it doesn't mean that we're never going to sin again. We are sinners. We are sinners, and we will sin. But we know who God is. And we will have no other God. And so we know that our God sent His Son for us. That our God sent His Son that we would be forgiven of our sins. So that as we go on in our journey of faith, that we will walk the walk. That we will walk reading through those Ten Commandments. Reading through that guide. 
and reflecting on what it means to be a child of God, a child of our Creator who cleansed us by the very blood of the Lamb. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. At this time, please stand as we now continue with the Apostles' Creed.